Welcome to a series of talks about objective consciousness, an objective universe, and an objective way to awaken, expanding upon the works of George I. Gurdjieff and Russell A. Smith. This podcast is part eight of chapter three of the audiobook of the Blueprint of Consciousness. In this episode, we further look at the evolution of the octave of life, showing how fully working centers have spillage into higher centers. And we explain this with the help of some stories. And finally, we discuss the rule of two-thirds, explaining why things only need to be good enough to evolve. Let's begin. The Blueprint of Consciousness An Accelerated Path to Awakening by Russell A. Smith Chapter 3 Infrastructural Cognizance Part 8 Life duplicated its way through the instinctive center. Next, it began to move, improving duplication after which it got emotional and gave life a better chance to survive. Following that, it became intelligent and started having smart sex, returning year after year to the same place to mate. Then life entered the upper story. In chapter 5, we will also learn how a third force enters at so and merges with the first and second forces and will, at that time, explain and identify that force. For now, we will simply say that a third force enters certain animals after they complete their intellectual centers and provides them with a third essence center almost like a third instinctive center. But this third kind of instinctive center, now called the higher emotional center, does not just sense the world or ascribe meaning to it. It adds morality. Animals start to develop social behavior and begin to value each other. Thereafter, they start living in packs, in herds, in pods, in dens, in groups, in flocks, etc. There is a diminishing sense of mine and an ever-increasing sense of ours. Remember how lower story animals, after giving birth to something, would eat it if it crossed their path. And how middle story animals would say, that's my kid. I am not going to eat my kid. Well, upper story animals go one step further. And as such, they leave their lion cubs with one female, knowing that while they are out hunting, she will not eat them, because they are part of her pack, her pride. That is, she knows that if she helps raise them to maturity, 
there is a better chance for the lion pride to do what? To duplicate and survive. So, animals became social. And they developed the social qualities of living in a clan, in a pack, or in a herd. Some developed other social qualities, like meerkats, who stand guard while others feed. Then, switch places, so that everyone gets to feed. If the group survives, they have a better chance of surviving too. And, as a species, have a better chance of making more meerkats. All the great social qualities come from this essence-driven sense of morality. Finally, there was a moment when something spilled into the personality side of the upper story, and the higher mental centre began to function. Russell actually calls it spillage. Why? Well, if you remember back when we studied the Enneagram, we learned that the highest note that an octave can attain was La. What is the note at the end of the higher emotional centre? The note La. That, good sir, is as high as life can go. The duplicating principle can only shove life up from Ray to me, from me to far, from far to so, and from so to La. Then, when it reached La, it said, I cannot shove life up any further. I cannot make oranges. I can only make blossoms. All the animals below man are driven by the duplicating principle. That is why, any time there is a female in heat, every male within smelling distance, will be chasing her. When it comes to sex, man is the only species that can say, I think I would rather go bowling. There is the dilemma. Everything existing below La serves the force coming from the bottom dough. And everything existing above T feels the force coming from the top dough and everything existing between La and T serves no force at all. Man exists between La and T, and thereby serves no force at all. He cannot be shoved up any further by the bottom dough, nor receive help coming down from the top dough. He is on his own left to scratch his head and sheepishly ask, What am I supposed to be? That is when some guy comes up and says, You are supposed to go fox hunting, and screws it all up. Okay, if we cannot be shoved into the la t interval, then how did we become men of reason? Well, at first, it was by what Russell called spillage. That is, if you shove enough species up to social animals, 
one of them will spill into the higher mental center. Life cannot be shoved into the higher mental center, but there can be some spillage. And some social animal will spark the beginning of reason. Raise your hand. That is you. Russell likes to tell a story to help people understand what spillage is. That is, to understand how reason began. Russell's story, for the beginning of reason, is that some ape somewhere, after a big rain, walked out of his cave, and there, in a curved rock, a bowl-shaped rock, was water. In the past, when he came out of his cave and saw there was water in the bowl-shaped rock, he went over and drank it. And, when the water was gone, it was gone. But, today of all days, he has the first moment of reason, the spillage. He looks at that curved rock and yells, The rock holds water! The rock holds water! Therefore, after he drinks the water, he can pick up the rock carry it down to the river, and retrieve more water. With his new understanding that the rock holds water, he is able to carefully carry the water back to his cave without spilling it. He now has water to drink later on that day, and especially that evening, which is a great advantage for survival, because after dark, when the other apes are going down to the river to get a drink, they run the risk of being attacked and eaten by tigers. Whereas now, he remains safe in his cave, drinking his water. By the way, that makes him very popular with the females of his troop. After all, he can now say, Hey baby, come to my cave tonight. I have water in a rock. The very first moment of reason might have been a guy who realised that a curved rock holds water. Since he was able to get the water back to his cave, he was probably very successful at the art of surviving and at the art of duplicating. Thus, the duplicating principle was enhanced. The other apes in his troop were incapable of understanding that the rock holds water, as they did not have his reason. But, since they were able to watch him, they were able to ape him. That is, they too could take the rock down to the river, dunk the rock into the water, just like they saw him do. But since they did not understand that the rock holds water, the water would spill out when they walked back to the cave. We can imagine that the next time they walked back to the cave, the ape with reason would growl, Ra, 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 ra! That frightened them. So they stopped in their tracks. Why is he growling at us? Then, when they started to take another step, he would growl again, 
Ra, 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 ra. Thus, the other apes were forced to walk back really gingerly. Because every time they took a step, he growled at them. Because of his actions, the other apes were eventually able to get the water back to the cave without spilling it. We repeat, because he growled at them, even though they did not have his reason, they were able to successfully get the water back to the cave. Okay, this first ape of reason probably had a lot of children. After all, he was a pretty powerful guy. When he growled, everybody stopped. And he had water in his cave, which attracted many females. Then, somewhere down the line, he died. When he did, the rest of the apes may have appointed another ape to be the designated growler. Someone to growl at them when they performed the ritual of the water and the rock. Otherwise, they would never be able to get the water back to the cave. Eventually, one of his descendants was born with the same gene that he had, which gave that child the reason of the water and the rock. He too saw a curved rock, and he realised that it held water. He even understood why the other apes appointed a designated growler. He said, I understand that the rock holds water, and I know why we have the ritual of the designated growler, but I cannot explain it to anyone. Well, at least I don't have to be the one that growls every time they perform the ritual of the water and the rock. Later, maybe he realised that a footprint in clay also holds water, and that clay is malleable and can be fashioned into a bowl, a bowl with a small mouth. If the apes had water in a bowl with a small mouth, even the ones who walk goofily would not spill much water. Then the troop could get rid of the ritual of the designated growler, because they would not need him. Later on, he might have made a bowl with an even smaller mouth and created a tree bark plug, so that everyone could successfully carry the water back to the cave without spilling it. Thus, the evolution of reason began. Later, it entered the moving centre. A future ape said, I can throw with accuracy. I can hit that coconut with this rock. I do not have to climb the tree. I can aim, target, and hit it with a rock. Other apes might be able to throw stuff, but without reason, they could not target. Eventually, this emerging reason worked its way into the other centres as well. This is a great scenario of how the evolution of reason could have begun. Well, 
If that is the model, then why do we not all have reason? And why are we not all impartial? What the heck happened? The answer is simple. You cannot be shoved higher than La. You cannot make oranges. You can only make blossoms. So, God said, It is okay if reason starts by spillage, because reason, started by spillage, will by nature destroy itself. Therefore, any reason created by spillage will not last long. However, sooner or later, someone will come along and understand how to acquire it. Not by spillage, but legitimately. Until that happens, no foul. We repeat, if you get reason mechanically, you cannot keep it. If you get reason intentionally, it cannot be taken away from you. What do you think it means that reason started by spillage will by nature destroy itself? To understand how reason acquired by spillage will destroy itself, let us take a look at the higher emotional center. The higher emotional center is the precursor to the attainment of reason. That is, without the higher emotional center, there can be no higher mental center. And, without the higher mental center, there can be no reason. The higher emotional center is made up of the ace of diamonds, the ace of clubs, and the ace of hearts. All working together as one center. Like cells, becoming a tissue. The first men got reason from spillage. Their higher emotional centers were fully functioning. And, because of that, something spilled into their higher mental centers. So, the first requirement is to have a fully functioning higher emotional center and to keep it fully functioning. So, how do we acquire a fully functioning higher emotional center and how do we keep it fully functioning? Perhaps a better question would be, do we really need a fully functioning higher emotional center? Or just an adequately functioning one? Nature never seems to require that something needs to have all for it to work, but just enough. So, if there are nine face cards in the higher emotional center, the face cards being its smallest parts, how many of those smallest parts would need to be functioning for us to claim the function of the higher emotional center? All nine would do it, but would it work with only eight? How about seven, or six, or five, etc.? Kind of like asking, 
If a fruit tree optimally needed 30 gallons of water per year, then during a drought, how many gallons of water would it need to still be a fruit-producing tree? Or, if a cow's normal rate of grass consumption was 30 pounds per month, then, during lean times, how many pounds of grass would it need to eat to still produce milk? Or, if you scored 100% when you went down to take your driver's license test, you would of course pass the test. But how low could you score and still pass the test? Considering all the possibilities, and again looking to the structure for the answer, Russell formulated what he calls the rule of two-thirds. Back in an earlier chapter, we talked about how three forces came together in what are called triads. Remember? We had fire, plywood and air and watched them interact. We saw there were different triads. Sometimes the plywood smothered the fire and sometimes the air ignited it. The model was, if you had two forces working together, they would win, even if the third force were resisting. That is Russell's rule of two-thirds. Two forces working together will always carry the day. Thus, if two-thirds is the rule, then you only need 66%, not 100%. If the air and fire work together, the plywood will burn. If the plywood and air work together, the fire will go out. Thus, the tree will need 20 gallons of water, the cow will need 20 pounds of grass, and you will need to score at least 66% to pass that darn driver's license test. So, based on the rule of two-thirds, if the higher emotional centre has nine face cards, how many of them does it need to begin functioning? It needs six face cards, or two-thirds. Eureka! If you want to wake up, you only need to acquire and maintain six cards. The first men started with more than six cards. But at some point, they dropped below six cards and fell asleep. That is, they lost the function of their higher emotional centers and subsequently lost the function of reason. Why? Because they did not understand what reason was for, nor how it was attained. After all, they acquired it from spillage and did not earn it. To them, it was just another tool for survival. So, they used it to make life safer for their children. Because of that, 
reason ended up destroying itself. Here is how. Russell tells this story. Let us imagine that you are one of the first guys on the cusp of reason. As such, your higher emotional center is fully functioning. You are living in a cave with your wife and your children. When you wake up in the morning, you must go outside into a dangerous world to find food. Before going outside into that dangerous world, how do you think you would approach the mouth of your cave? Very carefully. You are smelling every smell, tasting the air, looking for the slightest movement, and listening for any rustle. That is, you are using all of your instinctive center. Your instinctive center is working with full-blown attention. All three face cards are fully functioning. Attention is in every part. All present and accounted for, sir. Maybe you stand at the mouth of your cave for half an hour, smelling, tasting, looking, and listening. Finally, you decide it is safe to step out and go find food. You know where there is a fruit tree. It is growing on the side of a hill about half a mile away. Now, you must journey from your cave to the side of that hill. As you make the journey, you never stop sensing. Not only do you never stop sensing, but your moving center will join in as well. You will be walking very carefully not even stepping on sticks, which could make a snapping sound. You are walking with stealth and walking slowly. If you see a predator up ahead, you will be able to freeze and stand motionless, knowing that if you do not move, he may not notice you. You are probably capable of standing perfectly still without even twitching or scratching for half an hour or more. And if he does notice you, you are prepared to run, jump and scamper up a tree. You would have incredible control of your moving center. Your instinctive center would also be functioning with full-blown attention. Red alert! Everybody on deck! That is how you sojourn from your cave to the tree. Your instinctive center never stops smelling, never stops tasting, never stops looking, never stops listening, and you never stop sensing. Your moving center is also fully engaged. All of your moving center is functioning. And together, 
they get you safely to the tree. When you get there, you climb it and grab a handful of fruit. Then, when you start the journey back to your cave, your instinctive and moving centers are again fully engaged. However, when you reach the cave where your wife and children are, and you see a wolf about to enter your cave, do you say, Oh, sorry, too bad. Of course you do not. What would you do? You attack. You drop the food, let out a blood-curdling scream, run towards the wolf and attack it tooth and claw, desperately trying to save your family. Your life is insignificant. You are prepared to fight to the death. Which means you have a full-blown emotional center. All three face cards are functioning with full attention. You are using all your instinctive center, all your moving center, and all your emotional center. In fact, your higher emotional center is at 100%. You have all nine face cards at DEFCON 1. Your Jack, Queen, and King of Diamonds, your Jack, Queen, and King of Clubs, and your Jack, Queen, and King of Hearts. They are all functioning with full-blown attention. As a result, reason emerged. But you do not understand how you got it. All you know is that it is a good tool for survival. So, how did we lose our higher centers? From lack of use. Well, if we looked down the road a few generations to our children's 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 children, and we asked the question, how did they walk out of the cave in the morning? The answer would be blasé. Why? Because their great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy killed all the wolves and their great-great-great-great-granny put up a fence to keep the rest of the predators out. Did those children have to stand at the mouth of the cave for hours and smell and taste and look and listen? No. As such, they started to lose the higher parts of their instinctive centers. And... The tree that was growing on a hill, half a mile away, is now growing right outside the cave. That concludes today's podcast. If you would like a chance to read the whole book, The Blueprint of Consciousness, An Accelerated Path to Awakening, which is available as a high-quality 520-page hardback, and also as a PDF download, simply visit the store at our website, thedogteachings.com. The Blueprint of Consciousness contains an objective exercise in awakening that has literally awakened 
hundreds of people. Be free. Be awake. Be real. And realize your full potential as a human being. On our website, you will be able to listen to other talks, obtain diagrams, animations, supporting videos, and much, much more. In addition, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under The Dog Teachings. And, as a reminder, we have two Zoom classes every Saturday to assist you. Level 1 is freely available for anyone who purchases the Blueprint of Consciousness. And the other is for those who have obtained the Master Exercises and the Double or Nothing Exercises. See under Resources, Zoom Classes for more details. All at thedogteachings.com That's T-H-E-D-O-G-T-E-A-C-H-I-N-G-S dot com Goodbye. Until next time.